You are listening to a message from First Assembly of God. We are a church on a mission to restore everyone, everywhere, to a loving and holy God. If today's message inspires you in any way, would you consider sharing it with a friend? This is just one of the many ways that you can be a part of what God is doing here at First Assembly. Amen. We do want to see what God sees. So all this Christmas season, this December, we've been kind of referring to that Christmas carol. Do you hear what I hear? Do you see what I see? Do you know what I know? Do you see what God sees? Many times we go through life and we see what's happening just on the surface level of our existence. We see just the day-to-day, the mundane, the physical, and we fail to realize that the majestic, almighty fingerprints of God are on the story. And there's something happening that maybe you're not seeing. That God has a purpose and a plan, a mission in your life. You just have to see what he sees. So we began in the story, the story of Jesus' birth in Matthew. And Matthew begins with the story of Jesus' genealogy. Jesus' family tree. And we said, wow, in this mess. And if there's one family that shouldn't be a mess, you would think it would be Jesus's. But through the story of his lineage, his genealogy, there is mess after mess, yet there are miracles in the mess. And you may find yourself today in a mess. Do you see what God sees? There are God-birth potential for miracles all over your story. Do you see what he sees? Last week we talked about divine direction. When you're in a season of decision-making, You just don't need a decision. You need divine direction. We talked about Joseph's decision to quietly break it off with his fiancée Mary. He wasn't going to post it on Facebook. He wasn't going to drag her out into the public to embarrass and shame her family. He said, I'm going to make a good decision. But man, sometimes we need more than a good decision. We need God's divine direction in our life. We talked about that moment with Joseph. And man, can we see... Can you and I see what God sees in those moments of decision? Today we'll talk about signs to the Savior, and next week Pastor Dave will be preaching about Jesus' promise to be victorious over every evil in our life. Jesus wins in the end, and even in the birth story, with a young toddler Jesus, God triumphs over evil. That'll be Pastor Dave next week. This week, signs to the Savior. Have you ever needed a sign from God? Have you ever just kind of looked up, God, I just need a sign from you. Show me something. If you're really out there, show me a sign. Did you see this picture that went around social media this week? Maybe you heard about it on the news with the cattle that miraculously formed the shape of a cross. How many saw this? Is this rancher out west, you know, got his airplane and just like saw this picture of the cattle. You know, of course, the farmer laid out all the cattle feed in the shape of a cross and Somehow, miraculously, the cattle ended up there. I mean, it makes for a really great picture and a really neat story, but I don't know if it's a sign from God. Maybe you saw this on Facebook this week. This is a picture taken by someone in our church who posted, wow, look at God gave me the sign of a cross in the sky. And maybe you see that and you think, that's just vapor trails from two airlines, you know, that pass by down the same path. And you would be 100% correct except to Grace, who took this. Last Sunday was Grace's Baptism Sunday. I don't know if you were here to see it. 
in the lobby, but it was a beautiful moment for our church. Three people were baptized, three different ethnicities, three different age groups, and two languages. Grace's was a little bit of English with a whole lot of Korean thrown in as she was just worshiping Jesus for the change in her life. And as Grace and her husband Orrin were leaving the church, they saw this. She took a picture and said, thank you, Lord, the sign of the cross in the sky. To me and you, just a random occurrence. But for Grace, it was affirmation on her baptism Sunday. Have you ever seen something in your life where you thought, man, I think God is trying to get my attention, but maybe no one else around you noticed? Like it was something just, just for you. Have you ever been desperate? I mean desperate for a sign. Have you really needed to know, God, do you still have me? God, can you still give me strength in this season of exhaustion? Can you give me guidance in this moment of decision? If you are really there, can you just show me? How many know what I'm talking about? In Matthew, Matthew's story, the birth of Jesus, skips over the story of the shepherds and the angels appearing. That's in the book of Luke and the, the gospel of Luke. We'll look at that on Christmas Eve evening. Matthew skips that and he jumps ahead in the chronology and the timeline with what is probably the most famous sign in the Christmas story. And that would, of course, would be the sign of the... The star, right? We put them on the Christmas trees behind me. Some municipalities around, you know, the area you drive through their towns and you'll see stars hanging on the street lights in their downtown area. There's stars on, on stores and on windows and on the trees in your home. We put stars there because that is like, well, the, one of the stars of the show. A sign that God gave for the wise men to come and find Jesus the Magi, the visit of the Magi. And of course, how many wise men were there? We know traditionally we say there were, okay, that's not a trick question. Traditionally, we say there were three wise men. And we think that because there were three gifts mentioned. And they were, come on, help me out. They were gold, Frankenstein, and myrrh. I mean, frankincense, right? But that's about how the little kids say it in their little kids program. It's, you know, they bring their gold, the Frankenstein, and the myrrh, and it's all there. And we understand what gold is. Some of you are wearing it on your hands. Some of you have a gold necklace. Gold is, um, although not common, but it is, we're familiar with that. Frankincense and myrrh are both scents. Expensive ointments that are made by cutting into a tree, collecting the sap, letting it solidify, and then grinding it or burning it to make a very fragrant, very valuable um, piece of ointment that you would give. In fact, myrrh is very common in Scripture. Myrrh is there at Jesus' birth narrative when the wise men bring in myrrh. Myrrh is there when Mary, you know, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, these, the, this family, these three siblings, it was Mary who anointed the feet of Jesus before his betrayal and crucifixion, and she anointed him with myrrh. When Jesus is being prepared for burial, he had died on the cross. The resurrection was just a couple days away. And right there in that moment where they're preparing the body of the Savior to bury in the tomb, what do they anoint his body with? Myrrh. So it's a very common, valuable, scented, fragrant like perfume made out of the sap of a tree. So three wise men historically, uh, Balthazar, uh, Melchior, and, and Jasper, get those names from an apocryphal book written a couple hundred years after the New Testament, we don't believe that everything in that book is true, but these names historically have been accepted, probably not 
totally true? Maybe it is. We don't know. But the wise men we know came. They came. And they came because they saw a sign from God. These men, in my estimation, were probably could trace their lineage back to the Jews who were taken captive into Babylon. And while many Jews went back to their native homeland, many stayed back, uh, stayed back in the Medo-Persia Empire. They became leaders, just like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach were wise scholars. There were certainly academic headquarters. They were like universities in the Medo-Persian Empire led by Jews, intellectual leaders, great thinkers. And these magi, the great ones is what magi means, the great men, important people, they were there most likely studying astronomy, which was critical to their day for navigation, for the calendar, knowledge of the seasons. They were smart people who saw the sign from God and they came. Do you need to see a sign? Let's read this story together. It's in the book of Matthew, chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 1, and it's interesting. In the first couple of verses, you're going to hear one word repeated three times. Here it comes. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, or could be translated, we saw his star in the eastern sky. We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Did you pick the one word that was repeated three times? Now, the word the was repeated three times, but that's not what I'm talking about. Let me put it up on the board, on the screens. Can you say the word? Can he say the word? Now let's say it together as we read. During the reign of King Herod, wise men from the eastern lands arrived, and they're asking a question. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? And King Herod was not too happy. King, king, king. I think Matthew's setting the stage for his gospel. The king of kings is showing up, right? The King Almighty, the King of all kings, the King of everything had just been born. And King Herod was none too pleased. How many know if you have two kings, there's going to be a problem? Right? If you have competing authority, it's going to be a conflict. My old pastor, when I was growing up, high school student, would often say, anything with two heads is a monster. And this is a monster. King of kings has just showed up. King of the Jews, appointed earthly king. King Herod, appointed by Rome itself. None too happy to hear that another king was in town. How many know if you're serving two kings, you're going to be in trouble? Let me push it a little bit further. When the king of kings shows up in your life, only one king can win. And there's a little bit of Herod in each of you and a little bit of Herod in me. There's a little bit of Herod in each of us that says, I know you want to be king of my life, but I want to be king too. Can't I be king of my money? Can't I be king of my relationships? Can't I be with who I want to be with? Can I do what I want to do? Can I post on Facebook what I want to post on Facebook? Because I'm the king of my empire. I'm the king of my world. And when the king of kings shows up, 
one king's got to yield. That is our challenge, isn't it? To let the king be king. And Matthew is starting the story of Jesus with this young infant child, now at the visit of the Magi, about two years old, that this little toddler is being declared king. And the earthly king doesn't like it. And you know probably the rest of the story. Herod's going to eventually go to try to execute the young king and slaughter every little boy in that little town to try to stop it. And it's so true in our life. When the king shows up, there's going to be a tug of war. Can I just encourage you? Trust the king of kings. Can I just encourage you? Step off the throne of your own life and say, okay, almighty God, you be king. You be king. So Matthew starts telling this story, this conflict between the two kings, and these wise men have seen the sign of the king, and they've come into town. And listen to what happens. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? Verse 2. We saw his star as it rose. We've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone else in Jerusalem. He called a meeting. Herod gets together a private conference up in his conference room. Calls a meeting, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law, and he asks them, where is the Messiah? He doesn't use the word king. Interesting. He's like, where's the Messiah? Where's the anointed one? Where's the promised child? In Greek, the word is Christ, right? Christos. Christ. When you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus Messiah. In Hebrew, the word is Messiah. So King Herod says, where's the Messiah going to be born? Where is this going to happen? Verse 5 the teachers and the priests quote Micah chapter 5, verse 2 in the Old Testament. They say, in Bethlehem, in Judea, that's where the Messiah will be born because this is what Micah says, for this is what the prophet wrote. You, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, even though you're a little town in the middle of nowhere, you're mighty. You are not least among the ruling cities, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So the priests and the teachers, they knew where. They knew where Jesus would be born. They knew where the anointed one would be born. They just didn't know when. So Herod had a piece of the clue. I know where to find this competition. I know where to find this other king. Now he needed to know not just where, but when. So he gathers a private meeting together. Verse 7, Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. When he learned from them, and he learned from them the timeline, the chronology. Herod knew where, I just need to know when so I can take care of this king. Verse 8, Herod told the wise men, go on to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back to me and tell me so I can go and kill, I mean, worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It was ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was, and then my favorite verse in this narrative and when they saw the star they were just pumped jesus is calling us god is leading us to the messiah beautiful verse 11 they entered the house and saw the child with his mother mary joseph isn't mentioned he's probably off to work the family medical leave act only gave him like 12 weeks this is two years after Jesus was born, so he's probably back to work. They're no longer in the little cave or in the outbuilding with the animals. They probably found a, a room to rent in Bethlehem. Joseph, trained as a carpenter, as a laborer, found a job somewhere. 
making an hourly wage. They must have FaceTimed him in. Hey, Joseph, check out the wise men who came to play with Jesus and all of that. But he's not there in the room. You got the picture? Got the picture? All right. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave Jesus gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Verse 12, when it was time to leave, they probably stayed several days. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod. The star. The star. Have you needed to see a sign that led you down the path of God's will? Have you ever needed to see a sign from God to bring you to Jesus? I remember as a young family, in fact, I think in that season, we had just had our second child, newborn Sam, would have been born in January of 2001. And as a young youth pastor in a great church about this size, loving what we were doing, loving the security, loving the team, just this growing nine sense that it was time to shake things up and that God was calling us to do something different. And what both Angel and I were wrestling with was starting something new, which meant no job security, leaving benefits behind, leaving the security of a salary behind and venturing out and just starting a church from scratch. I needed to hear from God because that's a stupid decision unless it's God. And if it's God you got to go for it. I remember those weeks and those months wrestling with my wife saying, do you know what we're going to do? One day I was hot, the next day I was cold. One day I was like, I think we're going to do it. The next day, I don't think we should. I needed a sign from God. And I remember in a season of prayer and fasting, reading verses I'd read dozens of times. One of them in Ecclesiastes jumped off the page just in my daily devotional time of fasting. God, I want to hear from you. And Ecclesiastes jumps out at me. The farmer who waits for perfect weather will never plant. And I'm like, oh, that's me. You know, I grew up on a farm. I got, I'm like, God, that's your word for me. Maybe, maybe I'll never have the perfect time to do something crazy for you. And you're calling me to do it now. Remember, Reading in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 25, the story, you probably know it as the parable of the talents, where a very wealthy man distributed lots of money to his servants, and one servant, one accountant on his team, didn't do anything with the investment, but he hid it away, and the master, this is in the, the message version of the New Testament, says, the master says, get rid of this, play it safe, who won't go out on a limb for me. I'm like, oh, God, am I playing it too safe? And Angel and I just said, I think this is God's word for us. Do you know how many thousands of people on those days probably read those verses? I mean, you take the entire of Christianity, all the people reading through their Bibles those days that saw those verses, but they came alive to me. They were for me. Do you know what I'm talking about? Remember times of great hardship. There have been seasons where Angel and I just felt like every day was another piece of bad news. Have you been in one of those months, six months, maybe a year, where you just lift up your hands to God and say, God, I don't know if you hate me or what, but I'm trying to do my best, and everything that can go wrong is going wrong. Physically, medically, financially, just, you're just buried under the weight. Have you been there? Like, God, 
you just got to speak to me. And I remember, for me, it's almost always Scripture that just jumps off. I remember that season just time after time after time, the word endurance. It seemed like everything I read was just endurance. And that gave me the spiritual strength just to keep going. You need a sign from God. It's interesting in this story of the Magi's visit, who the star of the show really is. Of course, it's Jesus, the hero, the king of kings, born to conquer every king, born, given to us to redeem us from the sins of our life. Jesus is certainly the star. We think the wise men are the star, right? When all the kids divvy up the parts for the little Christmas musical, you know, the good parts, the popular kids, they get to be Joseph and Mary and the wise men and the shepherds, and they're all there. And maybe, you know, the rest of us, we're the, we're the sheep. Our line is, bah, you know, and maybe two kids, they get, you throw a blanket over them, and they're the camels or whatever, and then there's always the little bit of the chunky kid that's the star that stands like this in the background, doesn't say a word. But the star is one of the stars of the show. In fact, the wise men are mentioned by name three times. The star is mentioned by name four times. The star. And in fact, as you study this, as you think about it, you find something unique about how Matthew talks about the star. I've got all the references on the screen behind me. There it is, perfect. Let's read all four times the star is mentioned. See if you don't see something peculiar. See if you don't see something a bit unique. Verse 2, we saw his star as it rose. Verse 7, Herod learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Verse 9, the star guided them. And when they saw the star, verse 10, they were filled with joy. Did you see something unique? Did you see something in the text, in Matthew's writing, that makes you scratch your head just for a moment? What's unique? Is there one of the four references that's slightly different? Everyone and every time Matthew writes about the star from the perspective of the narrative or the narrator of the story, when Matthew is talking about the star, he calls it the star. When Matthew talks about the star from Herod's perspective, it is the star. But when Matthew quotes the Magi, it's not the star. What is it? What is it? It's his star. And you think, oh, it's just a word. No, 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 no. That's critical. To the Magi, to the wise men, this isn't the star. It's not a star. What star is it? It's his They use what we would commonly just say is, you know, the third person possessive. This star is owned by someone, or this star is related to someone. This star is connected to someone. It's his star. It's the Messiah's star. To Herod, to the townspeople, everyone else, they saw a star. Great. Not to them. This is his star. When God gives you his sign in the wilderness that brings you to Jesus, when God gives you that sign that says, it's time for you to trust me with your life, when God gives you the sign that now is the turning point for you, now here is my word for you, it's not just a word, it's not something that happened, it is his work, his hand that has done something in my life that's brought me 
to faith. Have you seen the star? I mean, have you seen his star in your life? In the Greek, this word his, right? Third person possessive, get that. But it's also an emphatic contrast. Now, this is going to get in the weeds a little bit, but hang with me. It's an emphatic contrast, meaning it's the emphasis that contrasts something. And we do the same thing in English. We use words, and you can't see it in writing, but you can hear it in someone's voice when they're talking to you. Depending on the word they emphasize and the word they're contrasting, it can mean something totally different. Let me give you an example. Let's say that, um, let's say that Pastor Joel, let's say that I have entered myself in a slam dunk contest. I don't take your laughter personally. So let's say I'm in a slam dunk contest. The stadiums are packed with people. All the other contestants, much more significantly taller than I am, are all gathered around, and I'm there. And, you know, I need to have that one word of encouragement from my wife, Angela. And she's going to say these words, I think you can, Joel. And depending on what the emphatic contrast is, I'm going to hear it completely differently. If she says this, and I'm talking, all these people are there, it's almost my turn to go, I'm nervous, I'm not quite sure of myself, you know, can I really slam dunk? And we all know I can't, but can I really do this? I need to hear a word from my wife. And she goes, I think you can. And the emphasis is on the I. What is she saying? She's saying no one else in this gymnasium, of all these thousands of people, no one believes in you, but I do. I'm like, well, thank you. You're a fool, but thank you very much. I appreciate that. If the emphasis is on the word think, well, I think you can, then she's saying, I certainly don't know you can. I probably don't even believe you can, but intellectually I'm trying to convince myself that you might. And if she ends this way, I think you can. What is she saying? It's an emphatic contrast. In spite of everybody else, all these other people, I think you're the one that can do this. The word his in the Greek is positioned in the sentence so that it's the emphatic contrast of the whole story. We have seen not a star. We haven't seen the star. We've seen his and nobody else's. This star must be the one. And they're emphasizing it. Everybody else, it was the star. When Jesus calls your name, when there is that divine star for you, please know God wants to be found. And he wants you to find him. When you're in that season of the wilderness, when you're in that time of crisis, when you after years have been asking the question, when you've gone astray for far too long and God gives you his sign for you, God's speaking your language. These were students of the heavens. These were students of the stars. And God showed his sign to those people in the exact way to get their attention. I believe every single person here will one day stand before God, whether you are a Jesus follower or you are not, whether you've yielded your life to the king or you've remained the king of your own life. Either way, I believe we will all stand there and give an account for his moment that he gave us, his sign. And some of us will say, oh, thank you, God, for getting my attention. I, yield, I yielded my life to you. And others will say, yeah, I saw it, but it, I rejected it. Because his sign will come in your language, in your season, for you. It's his sign for you and for you and you and you and you. Because God wants to be found.
God desperately wants to be found by you. Probably five or six years ago, my wife started a new crazy tradition at Christmas time. You know, Christmas is easy when your kids are little. I mean, you, they just get, they get, you have a Christmas budget, right? And most little kid toys are fairly affordable. And so you just can, you can just like put a plethora of gifts all around the tree and you, you get out your phone right now and you videotape it. Thank God we're in a season where we can, we all have our video cameras with us all the time. I mean, when I was a kid, we had one Christmas. Remember the old 35 millimeter cameras, right? You advance the film. We were taking all the pictures as a family Christmas, and there was no film in the camera. We missed a Christmas as a family. Those days are long gone. But, you know, the little, when the kids are little, it's so easy. They've got, you know, all of these gifts, and they're opening, and it's fun. And then they get older, and they ask for something, and you stand back and say, you know, if we do that, that's your only gift. Because, you know, mom and dad set the budget, and they can choose how many gifts they want, or they can choose the value of the gifts, right? So if they, I, I want this value, and then you're going to get this volume. You know what I'm saying? It's got to all balance out. And as the kids get older, their gifts are more expensive. So to make it fun, you know, they got, there's your one gift. Yeehaw, now let's go, let's go eat the dessert, you know? So my wife started doing creative stuff to make it more fun. Like, so there was one year where, you know, each kid maybe had two or three, four things, tops, and, but they were all wrapped the same way. And there was no way to identify, and we made them guess, and then try to guess whose gift it was. That was fun. There was a time when my wife put all the gifts in one giant box. We had three matching giant boxes, and they had to tear into those. There was one time we took the complicated gift into pieces. We disassembled it, so they had not one big gift. It was really funny because it was Sam. He had one gift that was important to him. The one thing he wanted, it was the only gift we could afford for him, one gift, and he gets there Christmas morning, and there's like 12 boxes. So he's all disappointed because he didn't get it, but he really did. It was just in pieces all over the place. So. But one of the things my wife did one year was she hid the gifts. They got up early in the morning. You know, my kids still have, even now, 20, soon to be 21, 19, and 13. They still all spend the night in the basement. They stay up as late as they can, and they're up as early as they can be, although now dad gets up before them now that they're 20-something. They come upstairs, nothing no gifts, they're all hidden. And so it's kind of like an Easter egg hunt at Christmas. It was a lot of fun. My point is this. That was a long story to get to the point, wasn't it? Here's the point. We hid the gifts so they could be found. We hid the gifts to be found. We hid the gifts because we wanted to see them love the search and find it and discover it. And whatever hints we needed to give, we were determined that they would find them. And God is the same way. You may be feeling today that God has hidden himself from you. God's too distant. God doesn't hear. He's just too far away. Can I tell you, God does want to be found. And when you're on that search for him, you're asking the questions. You're praying out to him. You're crying out to him. You're searching for the very first time. God wants to be found. You just have to see what he sees. You have to be looking for his sign for you and then say, yes. Do you see what God sees? Maybe this Christmas season, you're looking for the Lord. Maybe you're here this Christmas and you want to see the hand of God at work in your family. You know, my biggest desire for every individual here, every high school student, college student, young married, 
um, grandma and grandpa, moms and dads, is simply this, that you will see the hand of God. You will see the star of God over your family's life. For many of you, you're going to gather around a table over the next few days. Some of you will gather around four or five different tables over the next few days. And I pray in the midst of all the food, of all the stories, all the joy, you will see that God has blessed you and brought you to this point. For some of you, it was a miraculous sign from God that shifted your employment into a different direction. From some of you, it was a blessing of financial provision. You're like, wow, that was God. God's in control. Maybe for you, it was in a moment of decision and you needed to have direction from God and a scripture jumped off the page. Someone spoke something to you and said, that is my star. That is my sign. That's your sign for me. And as you gather for Christmas, these next couple of days, I want you to see what God sees. He's leading your life and providing those moments, those star signs that are undoubtedly from him. Do you see what God sees at work in your life? Said the night wind to the
Hey, thank you, team. Thank you, Julie. Beautiful. Do you see what God sees? Do you see his star, his sign for your life? Maybe you're entering your first Christmas without a loved one. We've had several wonderful people in our church pass away and enter enter their heavenly reward this year. And I know many of you are grieving having your first Christmas without a dear spouse, without a parent. I'm going to pray that Jesus will show his sign to you. Maybe just a brief moment that no one else catches. Just that word of assurance of the great reunion. Strength for today, absolutely, but the bright hope for the future reunion and glory that you will be encouraged. It'll be his word, his sign, his moment to reassure you this year. I know many in our church are having their first Christmas with an adoptive child or a foster child, and I pray that you see the beautiful star, his star over your household, that his sign for those those children, that's you, your spouse, providing a place of love, tenderness, where the love of God is known to these children. It's beautiful. I know some of in our con- some in our congregation will have kind of these waves of grief, maybe for a loss that's decades old. But in these kind of holidays, it just comes rushing back just as real as it was decades ago. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. I pray that you will have your peaceful, personal moment where God shows up with his star for you this Christmas. Maybe you're here and you're not following Jesus at all. You're like the magi looking for him. Maybe you're here because you're curious. You've come with family. You've come with friends. It's Christmas. I might as well do my perfunctory, you know, church service at Christmas. And I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that you're with us. But you're here because you're curious. You're asking questions. Here's God's word to you today. You will find when you're seeking. The Bible says those who seek with all of their heart, they will find me. Jesus said those who seek will find. Those who are asking will receive. Those who keep knocking on the door, guess what? It will open. In your pursuit for faith, in your pursuit to know who Jesus is, I pray that his star for you will show up and call you to him that there is a God who created this whole thing. There is a God Almighty who is writing the story of your life and has brought you today, this Christmas season, so you can know God through his son, Jesus, forgiven of your past, forgiven of your sins, walking and following after his purpose for your life. Maybe you're here and you're just exhausted. Maybe you're at that season in life where you have no strength left nothing to give. You can barely stand. You drug yourself here today just to do one more service. I pray that his star, his promise of strength, his promise to strengthen your weak grip, his promise to strengthen your feeble knees, the book of Hebrews says, will flood your heart and your mind. Strength for today. Hope for the future that God will speak his sign, his word to you. Maybe this Christmas you're bound. You're trapped. Maybe it's an addiction. 
Maybe you're stuck, overwhelmed in the despair of depression and hopelessness and you don't know where to turn. You've been living under a dark cloud and it always seems to be the worst during the Christmas time and you're like, I am so desperate. I'm so tired of being this depressed and this bound to the addiction. I pray Jesus' star will show up, his star for you. That Jesus said, I've come to set the prisoner free, to release the captive from the oppression. That ball and chain you've been dragging around for decades can be broken through the love and the grace and the power of Jesus today. This Christmas, may the bound hear, may the bound see Jesus' star of freedom. Maybe for you, you've always had to learn the hard way. Anyone stubborn out there? Anyone ever have a parent that says, you only learn things the hard way, and maybe that's you. And you're like, God, why have things been so hard? And God's like, well, I'm trying to get your attention. Maybe that latest brick wall you've run into, that latest knot on your head, is because God wants to get your attention. He said, God, it seems like you're fighting against me. And he might be saying, exactly, because I want you to turn around. Sometimes God's sign for us, his sign is hardship because he loves us. And he wants to turn the rebel around to pursue him. And maybe his sign for you this week, in this era of your life, is that latest knot on your head. And you're like, no wonder I've hit bottom again. It's his sign to turn you around. Here's what I know. God wants to be discovered. God sent Jesus so you could find him. And his star will be there for you at that critical juncture to bring him or bring you to him. And maybe this day, this Sunday, this Christmas season is your moment. In fact, we're going to take a moment just to allow any of us, all of us, an opportunity to say, I've seen his, his star, his sign, and I need to choose to give my life to God. God loves us so much. He sent Jesus. Why would he do that? Because no one can pay for your sin. No one can pay for my sin. Only God. And so God himself came to live and to die for my sin and yours so that when we say, God, I love you so much for that, thank you for that, I'll let you be king because you love me that much. That changes everything. And if you need to make that decision today, I want you to give God a sign. I mean, God's given you a sign. Why don't you give him yours? Just say, yep, that's me. Just five seconds. Just saying, yep, that needs me. Would you just raise a hand and say, you know what? I'm going to pray with you today that I am going to allow Jesus to be king instead of me to be king. We're going to wait about 10 seconds. Anyone want to pray? We're all going to pray together. I'm not going to have you come up to the front and make a spectacle, but I do want you to give God a sign. Here I am. It's my decision too. First service, about six to eight. How about this service? Say, you know what? Jesus is trying to get my attention. Just in the next 15 seconds, just make that gesture. Thank you. Anyone else? Awesome. Yeah, a couple of us. Here's what we're going to do. All of us together. Can we just speak out a prayer together as one congregation? Just repeat after me. Dear God. Come on, say it again. Dear God. You love me so much that you've given me your sign for me.
You speak my language. You know how to get my attention. So I'm coming to you today. I humble myself before you. You are king of kings, and I want to follow you. Forgive me of my past. Lead me to a new future. Amen. Can we give God thanks? That's awesome. Listen, as we, as we close this morning, I know many of you will be traveling over the next few days. You'll be gathered around with your family and friends. I pray that none of you are alone. May God bless you with some family and friends to enjoy this Christmas season together with. And I pray that you will see what God sees. You will see his hand, his blessing, his leadership, his guidance, his sign in your life. Pastor Jose. We hope that you got a lot out of today's message and that you'll share it with a friend. To stay connected with what's happening here at First Assembly, be sure to go to the App Store and type in 1-A-G-B-N to download the app. Remember, God's created you for a great purpose. Now go and live it out today.